because I think as a society we've been taught from a very young age that alcohol is the best response to any sort of um, crisis. It's our number one coping mechanism and it's also the thing that we use to make ourselves happier when we want to be happier. Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to the Hacking Happiness podcast with Dose, a podcast that explores what makes us feel good to improve our mental, physical, spiritual and emotional well-being. Whether it's a dopamine hit from reaching a career goal, a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones, a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care or a fitness class to send endorphins soaring. Everyone's definition of feeling good is very different. My next guest, Laura Willoughby, founder of mindful drinking movement club Soda, is here to tell me about hers. Laura, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. No problem. So for those who don't already know, what, what is Club Soda? Well, um, I set up Club Soda in 2015 and it's a, I call it a mindful drinking movement. And our goal is to create a world where nobody feels out of place not drinking. Now that might be equipping you with the skills to change your drinking habits and navigate a very alcocentric world. So we have a massive community of people changing their drinking and we run courses and workshops. Mm. Or it's about changing the way the world works to accommodate us as people who are drinking less and so we work with pubs and bars and restaurants and we run the mindful drinking festival and we talk about all the low and no drinks out there that means that when we go out we can have a fantastic evening as well and you've brought us a selection of things to try i know i never come without a really heavy bag amazing what should we start with do you think? well I thought that when we start I thought we start with um, Calibri which you may have seen is in now in Holland and Barrett and I thought this would be a good starting drink for you because it's very light and very sparkling cardamom and chili but it's one of the drinks that you can personalize how sweet it is using this little agave container mm. so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of a pour and then you can taste it and then you can decide how sweet you want it to be by adding some agave. Amazing. So I'll just start with that. This is it, personalising your own drink. Love it. Is this like a trend that we're going to see? I think forward? so. I think yeah. I, I heard her speak the other day and she's definitely been looking at the fact that we all want different sweetness from our drink. I quite like mm. it without. Yeah, it's quite like a nice tonic, just kind of very light and bubbly. Very light and bubbly. Um, ah, the, oh. now you press the top. Ah. I, I worked this out yesterday by getting it all over my finger. <laughs> Let's have a go. Okay, right, like that. And that'll give me a little drop. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, quite a big drop. It's, it's like a, a, a it's like a super uh, squirter, but with agave in. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is that is nice. Great. Good one to start with. So, okay. yeah. So, um, I, I think if you're changing your drinking habits now, cutting down or going alcohol-free, there's suddenly a range of choice that wasn't there when I gave up drinking seven and a half years ago. I can tell you that now. Yeah. So, let's talk about your experience with drinking mindfully because you've turned this into a, a job you actually help other people now so tell us about that journey yeah so uh, my background's in politics you can tell by the way I talk a lot <laughs> and uh, I got elected at quite uh, a young age I got elected to local government when I was 23 and so my career has been very largely fueled by cheap white wine <laughs> basically and I got to a point when I was 38 where I decided that I was really boring myself and I'd had enough and I was drinking too much, and I am my father's daughter. My my dad was a big drinker, and I knew that I had to stop. Uh, but AA and those traditional 12-step routes weren't really for me. I also didn't feel I was severe enough that I wanted to go to face-to-face -face services that were supplied locally. And so I went on a behavior change journey to do that myself. And so after I gave up, people started to ask me how I did it. And I realized that many of us out there are looking for something to help us but that isn't so intense, that doesn't have a sort of um, a, a religious framework, but instead might have some um, 
basis in behaviour change. And I thought, well, there are slimming clubs all over the place. Why don't we have something similar but for changing your drinking? So that was my aim, really, was to create a community of people taking a self-guided journey to change their drinking and to support each other in the process. And that's where it all began. It's amazing because I guess the AA word can put a lot of people off, can't it? It's kind of people think that that can't be me. You know, I don't fall into that category. That's like a proper addiction. Yeah, well, um, it might surprise people to know that the word alcoholism is is an identity. It's not a medical term. Mm. Um, And the AA is a disease-based model. And I actually come from all of this in a I wanted to make my life better model model I wanted to improve so many other things and alcohol was the thing that was holding me back Mm. this is a positive lifestyle choice for me and I think the important thing to remember is is that who we get sober with is just as important as who we went to the pub with and so whilst um some 12-step programs may suit some people it definitely wasn't going to suit me as a very you know stroppy Um, white middle class woman I guess and so um, I believe that we've created a community that works for some people but we are also really happy to direct people to other resources and support that might help them better. Um, There is no one size fits all in anything including diet or going sugar free or any of those things and so actually I wanted to create something that felt very ethical in the fact that we wanted to make sure that people got the right help they needed. Mm. And people use alcohol for different things. I mean, a lot of people will tell you like, oh, alcohol makes me more creative. I get some of my best work done when I've had a few glasses of wine or, you know, they never would have got that career opportunity if they hadn't gone out for those work drinks. So how do you navigate those kind of issues? I think it's important to know where the role that alcohol has for you and whether you're really clinging on to some myths, mm. like the creativity myth, um, as as being your excuse for drinking or whether you really do need to drink. In fact, there's no evidence that suggests that alcohol improves your creativity. You might just feel the most creative in those moments because you're you're blocked in other ways for your creativity. But to be honest, alcohol... You know, we're we're always on the quest for personal development and we pay lots of money for personal development, right? And if you were to create a pill that made you look younger, helped you sleep better, made you more productive, helped you get up earlier in the morning, helped you lose weight, helped you do more exercise, helped you eat better, you would probably be pay quite a lot of money for it. But cutting down how much you drink does all of those things mm. and it saves you money. So sometimes we've got some very... Um, long held on myths about things I do the same with food now Mm. so uh, it's not it's not unique to alcohol but alcohol in itself is then very damaging once you drink it because your body processes it like a poison so it does have all sorts of knock-on effects and most important for me when people join club soda is for people to think about what it is they're really trying to achieve we all know the headline I would like to drink less but what what will happen if you do drink less and you know we've got a member right now who wants to be a better grandmother Mm. who's got more time to spend with her grandchildren. We've got people setting up their own businesses who want to have more time to do that and be able to focus on that. Mm. We've got people studying who want to be able to concentrate on their exams. So it's about thinking about the bigger picture because I think as a society we've been taught from a very young age that alcohol is the best response to any sort of um, crisis. It's our number one coping mechanism. And it's also the thing that we use to make ourselves happier when we want to be happier. Mm. And it doesn't leave much room to say no, actually, if you think about it. Mm. And I think for, for women in particular, we've been taught, you know, particularly through, you know, aprons that say, wine, mummy's little helper and all that sort of stuff, that alcohol is something that we have to do um, in order to cope with day to day. And actually... 
it's the worst thing you can do. Because mm. it does release a, a lot of happy hormones, doesn't it? Like the first few sips of wine can kind of lower blood pressure and make you just feel better in yourself. But it really is only the first few sips mm-hmm. and then everything else. And they, I heard somebody speak once who said that you should call the first small drop of alcohol, and, and we're talking about half a pint of beer here, you could call that medicine. Mm-hmm. And then every bottle, every bit after that, you should call poison because mm. that's basically what's happening. And, you know, it's very difficult in a very alcocentric society to navigate that because it's a very normalised part of what we do. But unless you um, have taken a break from from your drinking um, or if you're worried in any way about how much you're drinking, then, then, then taking some positive action is a really good thing to do. Yeah. All right. Well, we finished that first sample. What have you got for me next? Um, well, um, shall, I, shall I get you on some fizz, I think? Mm. I feel like this is a celebration. I, I don't think know so, why, too. But you've just... We've been putting off this meeting for a while because I, I nearly came and met you last year at the festival. Oh, yeah. And our paths didn't cross, so this is... So been... we should celebrate. We should. Hooray! Yeah, let's pop it open. Um, so this is an alcohol-free um, sparkling wine from Lindemann's. Um, this is available in all the supermarkets. And most of the wines are dealkalized in this space, so... Um, they've had alcohol and had it removed. Ooh. There we go. And basically, um, I would say that um, I think the sparkling wines dealkalize a little bit better. I think the carbonation really helps. So I was never a big sparkling wine drinker when I was drinking, but I do now drink quite a bit of sparkling wine. I like it's easy to pick up a bottle, take mm. it to a party. I take it to the pub, and um, and if they haven't got anything, I'll pay them a small bit of corkage. You know, I'm very upfront and very mm. um, open about this, and um, and yeah, so it it feels it feels like it's creating a moment for you without all the hangover. Paying corkage is a good idea, actually. I don't know if you can do that at weddings, just bring your own drinks. Um, I highly recommend that you take your own drinks to a wedding because they're mm. probably one of the most triggery events ever. Oh, so God, yeah. do do phone up, and I always here's a top tip for you guys. In your dietary preferences, put that you would like something good and alcohol-free because you're not drinking. It's just as good a dietary preference as being vegan or vegetarian. Mm, that's a really good um, point. And, and, and that prompts the people organising the event to think about something, and that's the first part of the journey. Sometimes um, our members phone up the venue and ask what they've got. Mm. And if the venue say they don't have anything, then just be very brush and say, you know, uh, I need to bring my own then because I'm not drinking. Can I put it in my fridge? I'm happy to pay you 50p to pour me a glass of it each time. Mm. Remember, corkage is based on what it is that you wouldn't be drinking. So you're not paying corkage for wine because you wouldn't be drinking the wine. Mm. You wouldn't be drinking the Coca-Cola or something. So they can give you the corkage on a pound twenty, half a pint of Coca-Cola instead. Mm, that's brilliant. So let's talk about relationships. So let's go back to when you were drinking. Um, how did it affect your relationship with loved ones? Did you find yourselves arguing more and, you know, just not in a very good place? Uh, so, uh, Hetty, relationships. It's a quite a funny one for me and Club Soda. So... Um, uh, I'm not 100% straight, so my relationships are always been very varied and interesting. Mm. Um, so um, I'm not, I, I would say most personally that I'm not the, I am not the nicest person in the world when I'm hungover. Drinking, um, by the time I've probably had a few, I'm probably quite miserable to be with, but I definitely am worst when I'm hungover. And I guess I've got lots of people that I've had relationships with in the past to apologise to. But actually, my journey to change drinking started with a relationship because the day I decided I was going to give up and I'd set a date for two weeks in the future where I was going to dedicate a day to thinking about not drinking, I met somebody else who was just like me, a big drinker. And um, we got together that night because she talked about the fact that she needed to change too. And so we actually gave up together. 
Mm. which is a really important thing to do. Never do this alone. Find somebody else, find a friend, find someone online. It's great for accountability. And um, and that's a very that's been a very important relationship for me. It didn't last very long as a relationship, but in terms of what we achieved together, it was quite amazing. And because also a new relationships, very exciting. So mm. it uh, creates an automatically different environment for you to make a change in, mm. which is also really good. Um, but most important for me is um, is after that relationship, I began to think about what I wanted from relationships as a whole. And exploring people who, you know, we have a very traditional, uh, life throws very traditional views on how relationships should happen. It's very escalator. You you have a relationship, you fall in love, you go along the escalator, you might get engaged and married, you have children. And that's very well pre-designed in society. It was never the route that I wanted. I've never wanted children. So when I started dating again after giving up drinking, I was ex- I explored polyamory. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd ever been able to explore the complexities of multiple relationships without um, being sober. And in fact, I mean, this is always the funny thing. The two people I dated first when giving uh, uh, as a sober person are my two co-founders of Club Soda. Right. Neither of them are sober, mm. but they, they started with me. And, and Hannah, who I also went on a date with at the same time, was on the front of our website for ages. Mm. So... I always describe them as not really relationships, more as hostage situations. Mm. <laughs> You're so, together at the right time. Yeah. But I can tell you that being in relationships sober and being fully present and not being an absolute arse to people that I I really care about means a huge amount to me. Mm. And I'm able to see, most importantly for me, I see all of my friendships as important relationships just with different degrees of intimacy. Mm. So I don't invest more in my most intimate relationship, which is with my co-founder, UC. The other friendships I have are really important. And I need energy to do that. I need Mm. energy to give my friends the time that they deserve and to make sure that they serve some of my needs, you know, like to go out and eat nice food or go to the cinema, Mm. because UC cannot, as one individual... Um, give me all the things that I need in a relationship Mm. and so actually um, I still describe seven and a half years on giving up drinking as something that keeps on giving because it does it gives in every single relationship that I have and make Mm. as I journey through life now and it's amazing Mm. and I mean people see it as a social lubricant don't they like it kind of gets them through that kind of sicky initial period when you're trying to make new friends or go out and meet people but actually like you're you're finding now it's probably much better to just have it's, a clear clear view of it yeah and it's easier to meet people um uh if you're drinking too much you often feel really guilty all mm. of the time and so you don't believe you deserve love and so you go into relationships and if you're rejected then that's actually quite difficult it's difficult for all of us to be rejected and you you take that especially hard see i knew i wouldn't be loved i knew i'm terrible mm. Or if you do develop a relationship, you, you're, you're often feeling lots of guilt about the way that you behave. What I find about being able to see life clearly through very sober lens and a very energised lens because I'm not, you know, in that fog of a hangover all the time is I'm able to be a lot clearer about what I want from a relationship. And really when I started dating was to, to it was very easy for me to 
to, to sort the wood for the trees, really, to be able to say, actually, those those people like me, they've not got a similar outlook on life. They clearly, you know, they're looking for somebody to settle down with, with and have children, all that sort of stuff. And that's not what I'm interested in. Mm. Their political beliefs are different to mine, and that would be difficult. I was able to be a lot more choosy rather than feeling that I was desperate. Mm. Um, and also, if people aren't happy with your decisions that you've made about your life, and this comes up often, people go, oh, but, you know, when I tell people that I don't drink anymore, they think I'm weird, and they don't want to go on a date with me. Mm. I say that's a really good early dickhead detector, yeah, basically. Yeah. If if somebody is not willing to respect the choices that you've made for your life, whatever that might be, mm. whether it's around your mental health or around your drinking or around your running or whatever it is that you do, mm. then they do not deserve your time. Yeah, no, you're right. And actually, I think times are changing because maybe when I was back at university, I would have been deemed uncool if I wasn't drinking. But I think now it's it's almost like you're uncool if you drink too much. Like I think the younger generation, especially Gen Z, steering away from it they they recognize how it impacts on mental health yeah and you know i i cannot tell you how amazing it is to be far more present for life um by not having you know drinking every other day to a point where i it was a bit like a an extreme sport to be honest so Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing and your connections with people are real and deeper and you can trust your own gut instinct Mm. so obviously there's like more sober raves now and also this mindful drinking festival that you've spearheaded which happens twice a year yeah so and we did one in glasgow as well which is always exciting so we did one in scotland but yeah we do the mindful drinking festival which is an alcohol-free drink festival the one in january will have 60 alcohol-free brands there. It will have um, cocktail masterclasses. We'll have inspirational talks from the stage. It's awesome. Amazing. Come with a suitcase. Stock up on really good drinks. People do come with their wheelie suitcases, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a bit like what we're doing today. Speaking of which. What do you want to try next? Ah, How about I make you, because we did get the the sparkling wine open. How about um, an alcohol-free, what's basically an Aperol spritz? Ah, Is this the Crudo? No, this is Liars. Ah. Um, So I put it in a smaller bottle because it was quite big to carry. So Liars is a new alcohol-free spirit. And this is a mixture of two of their spirits, which is... Um, their their orange liqueur and their rosso and um, they've got a range of 12 alcohol-free spirits that take you everywhere from your gin all the way through to your dark spirits mm-hmm. um, equivalents. So it's really easy to create a single serve of whatever it is that you used to drink. Mm-hmm. But I know that our most popular blog every summer is How to Fake an Aperol Spritz. Mm-hmm. Really shouldn't use the brand name. It all gets confusing, but you need to know what it tastes yeah. like. So it's an Italian sort of bitter, and this is an Australian company called Liars. And so they've got this range of spirits. It's spelled L-Y-R-E after the liar bird because you're not quite seeing the truth because it's oh. a it's an alcohol free spirit that's very clever mm. and what would you garnish it with a bit of, kind of orange or yeah so orange? Um, so generally you I think if you do an Aperol it's definitely with some orange and, and on in a big glass with ice not mm. quite the DIY version that we've done here yeah. today <laughs> but it looks great and it is all about creating the drink that works for you you know most of the um, well, that's really really good I, I really wow. love it and I've probably not even done it justice but mm. you know that's that's an alcohol free spirit topped up with an alcohol free wine mm. low in calorie lower in sugar and of course won't make you want a kebab on the way home mm. so that's perfect and it creates if you could imagine because we can't quite do that here that you've got a big big glass full of ice and you've got some lovely orange to garnish it with and you either make it at home or you get that made in a bar mm. you feel like you are participating 100% in your evening in front of the telly or out in a bar mm. that you are treating yourself to something that isn't what you'd be drinking during the day but is creating that time 
Mm. And so for you as a new mum, I, I get very upset when I see all the mummy time and gin o'clock stuff mm. because it suggests that as a, a mother, the only way that you, you can reward <laughs> yourself at the end of the day is to get half pissed, basically. Yeah. And actually, no, it's to treat yourself. Mm. Treating yourself isn't always damaging yourself. Mm. If you're going to do that, save it for the cake, right? Exactly. Um, and so instead, you can still create that moment. You can go and pour yourself something that's yours, that's really special, into your mm. favourite glass with some ice and and still feel that you've you've rewarded yourself at the end of a busy day. Yeah. I mean that tastes as good as the real thing and I imagine with the ice with the garnish as yeah. well it would be they're going to have a better. big bar at the Mindful Drinking Festival you'll be able to try everything and I've tried a lot of their cocktails with their products I have mm. to say they were amazing and they made me feel sort of giddy with excitement like you know a kid in a sweet shop suddenly being given drinks that I've not been able to have for a long time mm. what is your stance for you know alcoholics who you know really can't drink because they're allergic to it or it just you know really damages them uh, trying things like this that are, they're almost trying to be like booze but not yeah, so um, uh, there's a lot of um, misinformation in this space. Most people are told if they have had a problem and they identify as an alcoholic, they're told that, that they shouldn't drink an alcohol-free beer, but they're not told why. Mm. And actually it's not... Um, some people do have a sensitivity to alcohol, but that means I have to avoid lots of things, including very ripe fruit and other things, because, mm. you know, there are traces of alcohol in everything in our life, including the fact that we have two units of alcohol in our own stomach. Mm. Um, uh but they often suggest you don't because it might trigger you to want to drink the real thing. But that's not the same for everybody. Everybody's different. So um, I I don't get triggered. I mean, I never drank beer as an alcoholic product, mm. so I have no relationship to it as alcohol anyway. So to me, it's not a problem. And I occasionally drink an alcohol-free red wine. I drank a lot of red wine when I was drinking. Mm. Um, Does that and do it for you, though? Because I've never found a good alcohol-free red well, wine. Well, you need to go up the price point a bit mm -hmm. and try. And also, really, only have it with food, mm. which you really should do with, with alcoholic wine as well. But maybe we don't quite as often <laughs> as we think we do. Guilty. It comes into its own with food. And so generally, I'll only have an alcohol-free wine with food. Mm. Okay. So let's talk a bit about self-care. So we often drink to take the edge off, but it, of course, affects our sleep. Um, I've got a, a tracker at the moment that measures literally every conceivable part of my sleep. And I was quite shocked the one night last week that I did have a few drinks before bed. My sleeping heart rate was above my resting heart rate the whole night. Like it was it was basically showing that I was having quite a, a poor night's sleep, even though I had I'd gone to bed earlier than I would do normally and got up a bit later. The quality of my sleep had been quite severely affected. And that might sound really obvious, but to see it on a graph like yeah. blazing before me kind of really showed me. Um, whereas another night when I'd had, you know, probably about five hours sleep, my quality was amazing because I just hit the pillow and then gone straight into REM and had a very nice deep sleep. So yeah, yeah for me, just comparing those two, it really kind of woke me up to the fact that, you know, drinking and sleep doesn't go together. And as much <coughs> as it makes you feel a little bit kind of woozy and lowers your blood pressure immediately, you know, it's actually, after, like you say, after that one glass, it's just all downhill from there. Yeah, it does really impact on your sleep. And some people will hope that giving up drinking will improve their sleep straight away and actually it takes a little while for some people it may disturb their sleep particularly if you've been using alcohol to help you get to sleep in the evening what you've done is you've taken out something that was in your routine so you need to build a new routine back in um you know I drank a lot and so when I gave up drinking the first thing my body wanted to do was to sleep mm. I didn't uh, I didn't need an excuse to crawl under the covers and have a little catnap I can tell you it's like my body was going okay, how about for the next few months we drink water and we sleep a lot? Mm. It was amazing. I treated 
sleep as my treat, my reward. And actually, we should do. We, you know, Netflix used to say its biggest competitor to Netflix was sleep. Mm -hmm. And that tells you something about how um, businesses are competing for our waking hours continuously. Mm. When actually sleep is one of the best self-care techniques of all. And I actually adore sleep um, still mm. now. And it's one of my favorite things. If sleep's one of your issues and you haven't yet addressed drinking, mm. I, I find it really ridiculous that you can go to the doctor and talk about your sleep at the minute. And they ask you everything but do you drink any alcohol in the evening? Because mm. if you do, it's one of the first things that you should try and go without. And, you know, if... You know, I'm not telling everyone that you need to go teetotal, right, guys? This isn't what I'm saying. I'm saying that you could save drinking for the time and the places and the people and the drink that you most care about mm. and then work on taking out alcohol the rest of the time, those incidental glasses of wine in the evening and those sort of things. Mm. And if you do that, you will see improvements in things like your sleep. And there isn't a part of your body that alcohol doesn't impact. Everything from your eyesight to your teeth mm. can even affect your hearing, every single internal organ. So if you actually have some health niggles and some health issues, mm. then actually give it a go. It's not going to hurt you to not drink for a, for a few weeks and see how you feel. Yeah. And so how has your self-confidence and kind of just self-worth improved since, since giving up booze? Self-worth is probably the most important one for me. So um, it might not surprise you to know that I'm quite confident as a person. Yeah. Although I did begin to lose my confidence because I didn't feel very happy in myself. I didn't feel... Um, I. The best way to describe it is I, I got into politics because I like solving problems. Mm. And I felt I was a people person. So there's there's the type of politician that knows Latin and may know the name of every prime minister going back 200 years. I'm not one of those. I don't do history. Um, I'm somebody who can go onto an estate and speak to, um, you know, a family about what the issues are around their housing and try and sort out that pro problem. I felt I was a people person. Mm. And before I gave up drinking in those that year before I gave up drinking, I began to feel I wasn't a people person. Mm. And that's partly because... I didn't have the ability to concentrate for long enough to be able to listen to people and to be able to respond. And I didn't have the energy enough because I was continually tired and drained from drinking so much. Mm. And the thing that I feel I have got back is my energy to be able to connect with people. Mm. And very quickly after giving up drinking, I began to have those micro interactions with people on the tube and people in the shops that I absolutely love. Mm. And it gave me energy. That gives me energy. Being with people gives me energy. And that was one of the first things I noticed. So I feel that what I've got is the value, my values back. And I'm the person I was, again, when I was 20 and I moved to London and stood for election. Mm. Oh, well done. Amazing. Excuse me for the interruption. I just thought I'd use this ad break to tell you about a new low-alcohol beverage called Willow. It's infused with apple, pineapple, kaffir lime, cracked black pepper, agave, cherry tomatoes, strawberry water, and the magic ingredient, CBD. At only 0.5% alcohol per volume, it's perfect for anyone looking to be more mindful with their drinking, especially in the run-up to Christmas. The product is available now from Fortnum & Mason and also online at thedrinkshop.com. And any self-care rituals, aside from sleep, obviously? Oh, man. Well, I have developed a very expensive loose-leaf tea habit. Mm. And if anyone has never sat and made tea properly and shared tea properly, then I highly recommend it as a, as a beautiful self-care ritual. It's not just about discovering the teas and the different properties of very good 
um, loose leaf tea, but um, being able to share that with people. So last Saturday, I went on a, a tea crawl with mates around the four best tea places that do single estate loose leaf tea in London. Spent an awful lot of money on tea. But, you know, it's those things that show you that connections don't have to happen through alcohol. They happen yeah. through sharing something. And so I, I like rituals that involve sharing. Mm. I, I meet friends twice a week for swimming in the morning before work. So mm. we swim and then we spend nearly two hours over breakfast and then we go to work. We all sit there and go, could we ever have done this when we were drinking? No, no. In bed, but we, we have a great start and end to our week where yeah. we share what we've done and what we're hoping to do in the week ahead. And it's amazing. Mm. It wakes you up, doesn't it, to the yeah. world? You don't have that, that fog. Like yeah. Um, Should I give you another drink? I was going to say, yeah, let's try another one. Um, uh, so let me give you um, this one. This is a, a brand called Mocktails, and they've done some pre-bottled cocktails. And this one they call a Moscow... Moscow... Ugh, God. Moscow Mule. Mos- yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and I quite like it. Again, imagine it over um, a large glass with ice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of talk about cocktails at the minute, but you don't really make a cocktail at home, do you? No. So um, having something that you can easily pour that you like that might have a bit of bite. And this has got a lot of ginger in it, which mm. gives it a really nice bite and a little bit of heat. Yeah. No, I can. Um, they also lemon. call it a Scottish lemonade. And I can see that it's got that little hint of 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 heat and a little bit of burn on the back of the yeah, throat. Yeah, what I like, a bit of burn. No, it's, it's a spicy lemonade, basically, yeah. isn't it? No, it's lovely. Really yeah. nice. And again, you know, it means that you don't have to get get busy with a cocktail shaker which um could only end in disaster if i did it to be honest mm. and so there are some prepackaged sort of cocktail type drinks coming through and so you can find something you like and i think that's the important thing it's about to find the drink that you like that fits into that that slot of a, i'd like to treat myself to something and i'd like to have something to drink but i want something to drink that isn't going to do me some damage. So what is that drink of choice going to be? Mm. And and go out and explore. I mean, all the supermarkets have got a really good range now. There's some online retailers like Dry Drinker and Wise Bartender mm-hmm. that you can, you know, go and do a mixed case of and go exploring. Mm. So for me, it has to be dry. Because if I have something that's too sweet, it makes me feel like a kid, you know, having a yeah. fizzy pop. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I'm not 12 and about to go and wait in the car park for my dad. I want yeah. a proper drink. To Served properly as yeah. well. Like you, going back to our conversation about weddings, you know, I've been at a wedding or pregnant and they've come around and just given me like a tumbler with, and poured some sparkling water in it. Very Yeah, well sparkling water's not, not an alcohol-free option. No. It's it's a, it's a basic right mm. water and it's there for, mainly for the drinkers to be fair. Yeah. And I also feel like what what is it about cheap concentrated orange juice? Right, it's not nineteen eighteen. It's not breakfast. Juice. Yeah, no, we we do, and it's it's you know it's a thirty p carton yeah. poured into a jug. <laughs> exactly, and it's it's a pouring ritual. I think I was in France and a waiter poured. It was water, but he poured it like it was champagne. You know, with the cloth yeah. and tilted and into a proper nice glass, and it just made all the difference. Yeah, so it's definitely we about the we deserve to be treated special. Yes, we do. Yes, there's um there's a lovely one. Fever Tree do it's a kind of pink. Aram- Yes. Uh, uh, tonic that I love. I just have it straight on its own. No, I do too. And it's one of those, um, nearly every cocktail bar will have some um, bitters that go into a drink. And mm. actually the aromatic bitters in that are bitters that you can get. And so I love it when a cocktail bar's got morello cherry bitters and I can put those in some tonic. Mm, lovely. So. so let's talk about kind of euphoria because obviously... Back in the day, you like you like to party, you like to go out to bars. How do you replicate those highs now? Like, do you like working out? Like, how do you get your buzz? Well, it's fair to say that most of us 
I, I'm always really interested in Club Soda members because people are very anxious about losing their social life. Mm. But often we have a memory of our social life from 10 years ago that we still think we're trying to replicate and actually that's changed. Mm. But we're very fearful of it. And so I'd say to people that your social life, if you change your drinking, will change. But that's okay because it was going to change anyway as you get older. Mm. So embrace that change and start becoming the architect of your own social life and work out what it is that you really want to do. Um, and actually, for most people, going out clubbing is a once and every now and again occasion. Mm. And you're not looking to replicate that every weekend. So you can find things like Morning Gloryville and Daybreaker and even Seven Rhythms where you can go and do... Oh, no, it's Five Rhythms, isn't it? Mm. Where you can go and do some dancing like a maniac. And, and you will be able to find those occasions. But I suspect there are also occasions where you wish you could go to the cinema or go to the theatre more. I love, I love the theatre. I love being able to remember the second half now. It's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, suddenly it becomes accessible because it's a lot cheaper. You know, you mm. can go you can go to a classical concert in London for less money than a bottle of wine. I mean, mm. it's madness. It's mad, isn't um, it? And not just in London, actually. Every single regional concert hall is has got some very good tickets. So I think you should treat... You know, begin to think about what it is that social life means to you, how you want to connect with people. Mm. You know, for me, going out for a drink after work used to be an all-night sesh. Mm. And then I realised that there are lots of friends who I never saw anymore, and that's because they were avoiding me because they didn't want an all-night sesh. Mm. And I realised that you can meet people for an hour and a half after work and have a better time in that hour and a half with them than you would if you would try to go out all evening. And then you both get to go home and maybe do something useful before you go to bed. Mm. And we've got, again, lots of myths about socialising, that it has to be this, it has to be late, it has to be during the evening, it has to involve alcohol, when actually it doesn't. It has to involve connecting with people that you mm. like the most. Exactly, and alcohol masks that, doesn't it? Yeah, alcohol and time. often, I mean, how, um, often people talk about the fact that their birthdays are coming up and they're dreading it because people are expecting them to go out drinking. Mm. And that's not because people are wanting to celebrate their birthday. It's because it's another excuse for everyone to go out drinking. And yeah. then you suddenly realise it's not your birthday. It's not about you at all. No, it's not about you at all. Yeah. And actually, if you want to do something for your birthday, then your friend should be totally happy to come and do it. Mm. And not moan at you for not going to the pub and mm. that does happen and I just my heart breaks because I think when did we lose um, control of co treating ourselves with consent mm. doing the things that we feel are right for us when did we feel that we we didn't have that ability anymore and so part of changing your drinking is actually about learning to treat yourself with consent and say you know what it's a bit like when you see my partner. He wants to go to a musical. We have a long-running joke because I hate going to musicals. So, mm. so, well, I really want you to get the best ticket possibly available. And we'd have to go for cheap tickets if I went as well. Mm. But, you know, but what I'm saying to him is, is I don't want to go. And it's absolutely fine that I don't want to go. But he wants to go so he can go. Mm. And I don't, you know, I can treat myself with consent by saying I don't want to do something. And I'd rather do something else with my time. Yeah, exactly. And at days we talk a lot about like healthy hedonism. So the fact that there are all these synthetic highs out there like booze yeah. like drugs but actually our body contains the most incredible mix of happy hormones right yeah. you can tap into them through swimming like you said through going to theatre yeah. it's just understanding how oh my god an amazing piece of theatre is just uh, I, I, I I call giving up drinking like a thousand little epiphanies and mm. I 
and I I get them a lot. I get them a lot as a as I'm an extrovert. I get my energy from spending time with other people. So you can see that I'm feeling quite energized now because I'm sat here talking to you, Hetty. That's it. <laughs> Just the fact that we're sat here talking about On a subject that's really interesting with a non-alcoholic drink. Yeah. It's really, really exciting to me. Yeah. I've made a connection with someone who I've really only spoken to on email. Yeah. And it makes me excited. It makes mm. me really happy. And um and building those connections. For some people, it may be about being able to spend more time alone because you need more time to recharge your batteries. And before you felt like you had to go out. Mm. I mean, how many times have we ended up drinking at events that we weren't enjoying in mm. order to stay at them? Yeah, just to power through. Wow, guys, go home. I know. It's so you, you have permission totally to go home from something you don't want to be at. Yeah. Well, actually, I confess, my friends will laugh at this, but I used to be a bit of a Houdini. I drink till obli- I got to the point where I couldn't yeah. drink anymore. And then my body would just take me out and it would just send an alarm bell, like, get get yourself home. So I used to just disappear from nightclubs and everyone would be worried, like, where's she gone? But I just had to get home. It was like yeah. a kind of Cinderella effect. You know, everyone's got a different strategy. Absolutely. And um, now when I go to parties, I say goodbye when I arrive. I go, oh, it's so nice of you to find me in case I don't see you later. Yeah, you know, thanks for inviting me, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with you. And then you don't have to say goodbye. You don't have to put up with that pressure of people going, "Oh, go on, stay for one more." It's when so really, awkward, actually, you're a bit bored. Yeah, go home. <laughs> That's okay. Watch a box set. Yeah, eat some cake. It's totally fine. fine. So tell me a bit more about what's in the pipeline for you. So obviously the Mindful Drinking Festival is coming up in January. Yeah, yeah. and I also shouldn't forget to tell you that we actually have a book coming out oh, called wow. How to Be a Mindful Drinker. Amazing. It takes you through all the behaviour change techniques to think about why you might want to change your drinking and how to go about it, how to socialise sober, how to find a new favourite drink, mm. um, all of those sort of things. And it's going out globally, which sounds wow. very exciting. Is that on Amazon then? Um, it's You can pre-order it on Amazon already called How to Be a Mindful Drinker. Yeah. And it's going out with Dawling Kindersley across across the world. Wow, so congratulations. It's going out in America and Australia and uh, and Canada. It's great. All, all the hard drinking nations. Awesome. Well, you've been to Glasgow already. Yeah, so we're all right You're there. <laughs> we'll be all right in Scotland. Yeah. So have you got a global presence then or are you hoping that this book will get you on the uh, map? Yeah, we've got lots of members from around the world, mm. um, but we're mainly UK focused. And it's really weird because this new wave of alcohol-free drinks is seen as a very British phenomenon. Really? We seem to be the world leaders. I know. Is that because so, of Seedlip? Because obviously they were hugely successful. And not just because of Seedlip, because you've got the Heineken Zero and all that sort of stuff. But we yeah. seem to have embraced it in a way that any other country... And I can't believe this, right? We're a, we are ahead of a health trend, everybody. Yeah. We're ahead <laughs> of a health trend. The Americans keep going, oh, I wish we were as good as Britain. I'm going... What's going on here? You're like, you you, you invent every health trend. Yeah. How are we ahead? But we, we really are. And so we talk about um, how to find a new favourite alcohol-free drink there but in the book. But we will be doing some more work in the States next year because they want to develop this market in the States. And the UK are the world's leaders in this. I know, fall yeah. off your chair. It's weird. It is weird, yeah. Because you always I read about these trends from kind of California and stuff. But it, it is interesting because of this, this term we talk about, healthy hedonism. A lot of Americans have found that quite jarring. They're like, huh? So you, you can you can do both or how does it work? They, it's kind of puzzling to them. It's like you're either in one category or the other. Yes. They don't get that you can have this mindful relationship and, you know, have a no low option and then also do an exercise class. And yeah, and be, and be really, you could possibly do all those <laughs> together, in fact. Possibly. <laughs> um, and, and actually that it's, um, I, I always say to people, I go out more than I did when I was drinking. I'm more sociable than I was when I was drinking. Mm. I fit more into my life when I was drinking. My word, weekends are really long when you're not spending half the day of each day 
in bed nursing a hangover. Mm. So uh, you are right. I am fitting far more into life than I ever could. And those nights where I, I stay up late, I always amaze myself. Well, I can actually do, you know, a night or so really late and it doesn't impact on me at all. Mm. No, it's amazing. So anything else apart from the festivals and the book, of so course? The festival and the book, uh, we're developing a new programme that's coming out, which will take people on a, a better journey to towards changing their drinking with a lot more help and advice. Yeah, because you've got the Sober Sprint at the moment, and that's yeah. for people who want to give up for a month. Yeah, right? so whether you're looking to moderate or go alcohol-free, I highly recommend you at least take a month off first. Mm. Most people want to moderate because they don't uh, think that they can manage some of those social events without drinking. Mm. But in order to be able to have power over when and where you drink, you need to know that the sky won't fall in and you can do some of those social events not drinking. So it's really good to take a good month off. And then we've got eight weeks to mindful drinking, which again works for everybody. It takes you on another eight-week journey to understand the behaviour change behind changing your drinking and how to manage the discomfort and the triggers that come your way. Mm. We're going to merge that into a a much better programme coming in by the end of the year which has got a lot more case studies in and Mm. lots more trigger packs so that there will be um, tools for you, whatever eventuality and wherever you are in the programme. So, Mm. yeah, there's that too. So there's there's that. Oh, there's just tons happening. It's Mm. really exciting because in the meantime, we're also... I've been speaking at more pub and restaurant shows and you can shake a stick at in the last year mm. telling everybody why they need to have better low and no drink options. And so behind the scenes, there's also an awful lot going on in Club Soda, which our members are now beginning to pay a membership to to support us to do. So mm. they want to do more than just you know, um, change their own drinking. They want to make it better for everyone else as well. Mm. So the Club Soda Guide, which is our guide to all the low and no alcohol drinks and where to find them is growing. And we're giving out people sober hack packs. So you've got some cards that whenever you go out, you can take with you. And if a restaurant or pub is good, Mm -hmm. you can give them a little card that says, you were ace, thank Mm. you, go on the guide. Or if they're a bit bad, it says, times are changing. Have you thought about getting some better low and no drinks? It would have improved my experience this evening if you had. Yeah. So that we can begin to get what we want when we go out. Yeah, there's nothing worse, is there, than a a bar that doesn't stock all of this type of stuff because then you're left with like the kind of fizzy banter and apple ties and yeah which are lovely when you're you know 12 but yeah you don't want a compromised drink you want to be treated like a grown-up yeah well laura it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today no problem i'm glad we finally got to meet yes and uh yeah i think we should just try one last one before Um, we've uh do you want a beer or a cider oh Cider. Cider. Yeah. So this is Old Moot. You'll get this in lots of places so actually now. I recognise that brand for the obviously the alcohol version. Yeah, so there, it's an alcohol-free version. So it's a cherries and berries cider. Okay. There you go. I have to say this is very popular with the students. We did mm. some work at Bournemouth University this year. Yeah, it's quite sweet, isn't it? But it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it basically tastes like the original but without that aftertaste it does alcohol. it's it's a fruit cider it's also um 34 calories per 100 ml so again a lot less than their alcoholic cider mm. there are some more ciders coming through i'm a dry cider person i'm from somerset originally so a bit of a cider snob Devon, so, so oh, well there we are we just have a <laughs> cider geek out so yeah. i've been promised that there are some um dry ciders um coming through but at least the the old moot you can get in lots of places you can get it in all the supermarkets amazing have you done a lot of work with students while we're on the subject um we we did an, a big campaign with um students in bournemouth university this year yeah. they got um we did a whole social media campaign about normalizing asking for an alcohol free drink yeah. they had a fridge 
fridge full of alcohol-free drinks um, when they arrived on their first day in their halls. Mm. So the first drinks they shared together were alcohol-free. We ran alcohol-free bars all the way through Freshers' Week. And then we did a pub crawl around the most popular student haunts to show that there were alcohol-free drinks available so they knew what to order and they could still go out to all the same places as everyone else. Mm. We did that with the lovely um, Millie Gooch from um, Sober Girl Society because, oh, cool. you know, she's younger than me. Yeah. So she's definitely <laughs> she's better with the to kids. do a pub crawl than me. Yeah. So her and and um, Scott did that pub crawl. Yeah. All about not saying don't drink, but normalising the idea that it's okay to not drink and here are the options if you were choosing not to. Mm. So when I was at uni, we used to pre-drink by having three trebles for a fiver. Isn't that yeah, disgusting? Yeah, that still happens. Does it? Oh. There's still a lot of drinking going on. That's what I thought, because obviously the press is all saying, you know, the younger generation aren't drinking as much as we did. Um, it's, it's true, though. They are spending less on an evening and having less drinks overall in the evening. And then yeah. 25% of young people aren't drinking, and that's borne out in the stats of Bournemouth as well. So yeah. there's definitely less drinking going on. It doesn't mean that there is no drinking going on, which mm. sometimes the press make it sound yeah, like. of course they do. <laughs> guilty as charged but no it, it does it grabs the headlines more and you know, obviously you know trends are changing there's there's more better options out there for them to yeah, try for a start and there, but there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of difference in that there's a mixture about what people are drinking like younger people aren't drinking as much wine mm. for example and they're more interested in cocktails they spend less on a few uh, spend quite a bit on a few cocktails rather than you know, spreading it over five pints in the evening. Mm. You know, uh, we used to do what I call vertical drinking, which is just standing in a pub with a pint. That's not that's not a night out anymore, right, no, guys? No. You know, we all want great food and a great experience. Yeah. So we spend our money in different ways. Yeah. I still spend as much in the pub, but it's generally on dessert, you know. Yeah, whatever <laughs> does it for you. And lastly, we're seeing a lot of experiences now. You know, there's like flight club where you go and play darts. Yeah. There's crazy golf at Swingers. Is that, do you think, to do with the fact that people don't want to just go out and drink anymore? It's because they want to go out and actually socialise and do something? They want to do something. They want to photograph themselves doing something. And if they're going to choose to spend money, they want to spend it on something that feels like it's value for money rather than just just drinking mm. and I think we are definitely more cross um, our socialising is done in more mixed groups where we're likely to have friends who are vegan and all those sort of things and so a, a venue has to accommodate for all of our preferences yeah wonderful okay we are going to end it now thank you so much <laughs> for it. it's been such a pleasure talking no to problem. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast. Please tune in next week when I'll be speaking to the amazing Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill about her brand new fitness app, Genis Fitness. It's aimed at pre and postnatal clients, but it really suits anybody of all fitness abilities. I can't wait for you to hear us talk about her journey from Olympic world-class athlete to mum. Mm-hmm.